Welcome to another episode of Out of Character with Jupiter Sanders. Today, we're going to talk about LCs or living communities. And I have Micah, known as Prophet, on the WAN Discord server. Prophet has mentioned the idea of creating an L5R living community. So I thought it might be good to bring him in so he can kind of hear all about the joys and wonders and horrors of a living community. I have Zakara known as Zakara on the way in Discord server. The founder and admin of a living community that's very new in its infancy called Neon Jungle. And then I've brought Ozer, who was Philip the Weasel on the Call of Cthulhu series without a net AP podcast. Also the sound editor for Resting Glitchface, the sound editor for Call of Cthulhu and Shadowrun for Without a Net Actual Play podcast. And also a former administrator for one of the largest living communities that I know of for Shadowrun, Runner Hub. Welcome, guys. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for having us. Uh, So, living communities. Just going down the the list, we'll start with Oz, go to Micah, and then go to Zakara. Can each of you just tell me your definition of what you think a living community is? And we're starting with me very well. So when we started doing this or when they started doing this, since I'm no longer adminning for the Runner Hub, there were no LCs. The closest thing that we had to a community of people with a coherent background metaplot where runs or missions or quests or what have you would directly affect the world and everybody else were multi-user dungeons, mushes, which I totally forget what that acronym is for, but, you know, places you'd log on to to Telnet and you'd log in with other people and you'd have your characters and you'd RP and you'd go on, on little things, but the world kind of remained static even if the characters didn't. And so when we developed the Runner Hub, that was a Shadowrun subreddit because it was on Reddit, where you had your character, you'd sign up for jobs, those jobs would have a potential impact on the world, and everybody would know about it. We also had, I was originally in charge of media because I started writing news stories based on what the characters were doing in their runs. And it forced a lot of other stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into. But my definition of an LC, since I am, <laughs> I'm kind of running on with my answer here. It is a community where people can get together. They have a common purpose in playing a game. They have characters that evolve. They have a world that evolves with them in in response to them. Okay, Micah. Um, my idea for what a living community is is kind of piggybacking on Ozier that a living community is a group of people who get together more larger than a single play group for your standard tabletop role-playing game that start off with a combined campaign and campaign world and eventually branch off into their own stories that affect the world as a whole and occasionally each other's groups. The closest thing the closest thing that I've done that can correlate is probably uh, the old before disaster strikes, of course, role playing servers on, say, World of Warcraft, where people would actually role play as their characters and as guilds being affected by the storyline as a whole, though they couldn't affect the world's storyline itself. 
Okay, so Kara. I have both pretty good answers. So my answer is really similar. A living community to me is a community of people like-minded who want to play a game and have kind of banded together to do so. And the definition of a meta plot or affecting the world changes depending on the living community. But in most cases, there is a directed guiding force that keeps track of that stuff and kind of tells a story with everybody else, no matter how big it is or how small. So to me, a living community having helped set up and was an administrator on Cast of Shadows, a small living community for Shadowrun. To me, a living community is... Like what Micah said, it is larger than a regular table game. It's it's many more people than that that come together to play a system. And much to what Oz says, that the things they do affect the world. They evolve, the world changes and evolves. And just like what Sakara, there is a guiding authority or force that manages all of that to make sure everything stays on track. Easier said than done. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> As far as LCs out there, you have Shadowhaven, which is touting 500 members. You have Runner Hub, which is, gee, Oz, what is that up to now? I mean, at one point, you guys had like thousands, right? Yeah, during my heyday, we had over 3,000 unique accounts, all with minimum of one, generally two to three runners. There's another one that I found that's kind of small. It's Seattle 2080. But let, let's talk about things like Shadowrun Missions or Pathfinder Society. Would we call those LCs or no? Is that managed gameplay? Not having any direct experience with Pathfinder Society, but hearing store owners and Pathfinder Society game masters tell me. Pathfinder Society isn't exactly a living community. Yes, they do have to report extreme detail paperwork on what happens in Pathfinder Society games at the end of each session and report those to a lieutenant, uh, a regional lieutenant who reports that further up the line until it actually gets to Paizo. They have the only effect that they have is that the majority of group decisions eventually has an effect on where that season's storyline goes, but... They don't have an effect on each other's group play. I think Mission and Society both are kind of a weird thing where they everybody plays the same game and then they make a decision about what has happened. But you aren't all playing different runs. You are playing the same run as 10, 20, 30 other groups have. So LCs op- all operate differently. How do the hub operate? Oz, as far as, as rules? Because I know when I looked at, at the runner hub, their rules were extensive. Yes, and they had to be, especially with the size of the hub. What we kind of thought it would be, you know, people want game, here is GM, sit down, play game. And what we ended up envisioning and kind of doing, which, I mean, all the LCs now, they have their own way of doing things, but it was a a giant version of a convention play. So you had a GM with a run, he would grab six random people, they'd sit down, they'd play it. And then somebody else, he would have a run, grab five or six people, sit down, they'd play it. And everybody had to submit who they took, what the basic job was, notable events, did they finish or not, is there any fallout? And they'd submit it to me. And we would reward the GMs for doing their their GMing because that is the primary issue that we have with gaming in general is that we have everybody wants to play very few people want to GM 
And so we gave an incentive, whereas essentially, if you ran a game, you were getting 10 karma to, to change to cash or karma, as you will, for one of your characters. And then when they used it, then you'd mark it off so people would know and then move on. All right. I do have comments about that, but go ahead, Micah. With As far as the Adventurers Guild for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition is concerned, Oz, many stores have implemented something similar to the incentive or GMs, where the players all pay, you know, two, three, four, five dollars to play in the game with this kind of weeds out people who might interrupt gameplay or be trolls if you will and that money goes directly to the gms at the end of the night for the people who've played at their tables that they can spend uh, either via store credit i believe it's store credit so they can pay for materials books paper, pencils, stuff like that, so that they, they're not spending too much money out of pocket for their game material. That's not LC. That's like a, in a game store, somebody comes and runs a tabletop game. Correct. And it is part of the weekly D&D Adventurers Guild mm-hmm. society, if you will. But as far as I'm aware, Wizards of the Coast doesn't do seasonal gameplay like a living community or even Pathfinder Society does. It's just whatever module has come out that year and a cut-down version of it for beginner gameplay. That's a whole topic in itself. As far as rules about game stuff, I'm kind of Jupiter on incentive for GMing. I have comments on that too, but... Yeah. So how did how did Cast of Shadows and how does Neon, Neon Jungle operate now as far as how they manage or what are their rules anything different anything or is it much like what runner hub does is what oz explained cast of shadows and by extension neon jungle which is an extension of cast of shadows since cast of shadows is shuttering its doors in a few months we have a run the gm will have a run they submit the run to the community as a job posting and then the community at large builds a team and then submits a team to the gm so it's not six random people it's the people who have built a team so in most cases it's cohesive teams though you still run into cases where people are just grabbing whoever to fill a team so they can play but it's less it's less cohesive in the sense that where so you end up most of the time you end up in teams that are at least functional because you have a solid core and then they grab whoever for the second slots mm-hmm. filled or stuff like that. Let's get into how the LCs operate. The hub operates where it's just the GM is the one that picks and puts the team together. COS, it was the players had to put a team together and submit as a group. These are two very different ways. And the choice was not done by the GM. We had a set way of choosing. It was an average of games played for the season yep. amongst the players and the lowest win gets a game. Basically. And the idea was to have those people that aren't in a lot of games be able to get in a game. And and right. that's why. Whereas the Runner Hub, it was the GM just chose. So Oz, how did you make sure, like, what if I'm a new player on the Hub and the GMs just never choose me. There was a couple things that we did. First, we had an additional incentive for taking new people. It was an extra two karma if you took a, a new person. We also tried to legislate that you had to take at least a new person if the run wasn't what we considered a prime run in difficulty. And finally, you had GMs like me. I would grab, uh, if I had a five-person table, which was my standard, I would grab four new people who had had less than three runs, or in my case, less than 25 karma. And I would have one veteran player who I'd vetted, because that's what you do with veterans, and they would mentor the run. And so no matter what, 
I knew the objective would get done because I, I made simple runs. And so the team was their own worst enemy. And the vet would know this and know my play style and would be able to finish the run. So if the kids set the town on fire, they crashed the car, they spilled the milk, they're being chased by a robotic dog with a diamond collar, somebody was going to be able to get this job done. And that's why in, in COS, that was one of the things I pushed for was, so you know how, especially at like a con, you never know at a convention for convention play, when you sit down, you never know who's going to be at that table with you. And you never know what that experience is going to be like. It could be awful. You could have a that guy. You could have two that guys. Uh And in the hub, it kind of maybe felt a little like that. Like if I wasn't in the click or I wasn't in there or I, 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 maybe I just won't play well with the others the GM chose. So that's why on COS, it was very much I pushed for, I want the players to make the group. That way I know everybody will have fun because they're playing with people they know and like to play with. To an extent, there's a downside to the way COS does it Mm -hmm. in the sense that you end up getting clicks. There are people who run together and they always run together and those people don't take other players you also get some exclusionary going on with people who don't like a particular player or character and they just say well i'm not gonna run well so i'll challenge that though it is not that they don't like a particular player they don't like a particular player's play style correct that that's a fair assessment and it's not it's not necessarily a wrong thing like if Mm -hmm. i want to play gotta run i want to play with a particular group of people in a particular way and so i've i've naturally gravitate to those people who are like-minded so but you also have that minor subset of quieter people who don't usually build teams and so those people end up not always getting runs and it's something i'm looking to address as moving forward as far as that goes but it's a topic of discussion that i don't have an answer for so it's 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 one of those things Mm -hmm. that we're talking about it but i don't know what the answer is i wish i did so yeah there's a lot of elements in an lc that and Oz, oz will 100% back me up on this statement that LCs give birth to other LCs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. If you have one LC, it will give birth to another LC. That LC will give birth to another LC because whenever you have a group of people, when it gets to a certain amount, there's a fracture and a separation and a new LC is born kind of happened with cos mm-hmm. and cos was born from another lc where several right. people just didn't like that lc and so they went and made their own with hookers and blow <laughs> hookers and blackjack yes that is no it was hookers and blow oh we didn't do hookers and blackjack no i yeah i i will <laughs> reliably uh push for that as a lc name <laughs> every time because <laughs> Okay, so Runner Hub was the first, and the initial circumstances for the first split was that, as with all things, as you guys have said about clicks, a click formed, and they they tried to stage a coup, and I was the one in charge at the time. And so they wanted me to back their play and their rule sets and the way they wanted to do things, and I told them no. And so they took their bag and their ball, and they... They left, copied the hub exactly, and just said, well, we're, we're the ones running it, and we're going to do this instead. And then the next one was the same thing. And so every time people would split off, people who shared that kind of mentality would go with them. And I think we're now in generation four of the evolution of LCs, because originally you had Conplay, which is runner hub 
ShadowNet, etc. We've started seeing the the very enclosed groups, which I consider is going to be number two, where they are extremely exclusive. They just they don't really even have a meta. They just a bunch of friends playing a lot of games and able to switch through. Consider Cast of Shadows and Neon Jungle to be kind of Generation 3, where you're kind of pushing the all of the decisions onto the player, which I think is really cool, and the GM is just there to run games. If there is Generation 4, I would say that's going to be where we start seeing the elimination of Clickanish, which probably never happened. I want to be clear to anyone listening that when, when I mention clicks, I don't mean that in a negative way. People form groups. They, it's natural for us to find and flock together with people who are like us. So I don't mean clicks in a negative way or a destructive way, but in LCs, when a click forms and it becomes a large driving force within the LC, it can have a very detrimental effect to an LC. Definitely. And you find like even a small voice, a small <laughs> click with a loud voice can be detrimental to the community at large. And that, I've seen that specifically in Cats of Shadows. So it's it's one of those things where you got to kind of watch what people are doing. Sorry, I have a little background noise. No, you're fine. That's okay. Leland's in the background. Jenny can be in the background. These oh, are yeah. <laughs> Jenny, <laughs> Jenny's got a game this morning. So. Yeah, yeah <laughs> nice. that's fine. No, no, no. It's good. So it's drama, really. Drama is what comes out of LCs a lot of the times and I know this is the topic you need to bring up so I don't know if you want to talk about it now but like drama is definitely a thing that fractures LCs and it's usually over something minuscule as not agreeing with the way something is run and then it becomes the whole thing that if you don't diffuse it pretty quickly it spirals yes. out of control. Go ahead Micah. Yeah, I was uh, going to say based on what I've heard so far from uh, your all's experiences in LCs that giving birth to a new LC can sometimes cause the death of the parent LC. A weakening? Yes. Not necessarily a death. Runner Hub is still happening. It is given birth to other LCs, but it's still going on. But there, it has been weakened, I would contend. I would disagree with that. You would. You think the Runner Hub is dead. No, I don't think the Runner Hub is dead. I okay. think that because I was there for, God, I think there were like five LCs when I finally left. But when I left also, we had, what, less than a thousand people with the first split. When I left, we had over 3,000. So what we also find is that, you know, these things aren't necessarily exclusive to one another. It's not a zero-sum game. Mm -hmm. So you'd have people on ShadowNet, you'd have people on RunnerHub, you'd have people on um, Flavor of the Week. Mm -hmm. And so they're people in the end, you've got your cliques, you've got this, you've got that. In the end, they want to play the game. And so while it will start drama when people forget that you know we're here to play a game and they want to have a very particular game that's when they go to another lc and then they'll realize the grass isn't necessarily greener and now they've got this thing over here but they've got the original thing they haven't made a bunch of bad blood yet so now they're on both trying to get games sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but that's for the individual person and not necessarily for the lc yeah that's for sure and also i don't think We've had people, like you were there for Cast of Shadows, we've had in the neighborhood of, well, I could look, but I don't have my sheet open right now, we have had the neighborhood of 100 players through Cast of Shadows throughout its run, mm -hmm. and 
we currently have 40 people on that server. So we have pretty much replaced everybody at least once. And I was I was point out that the Neon Jungle has arisen because the cast of Shadows is shuttering its doors after the season. And most of us still want to play Shadowrun, so we are basically mm-hmm. taking a cast of Shadows and making it the Neon Jungle and just continuing on. So it's not always weird. It's not always a fracturing though in this case it is a little bit it's it's just there's a bunch of people who still want to play so we are going to go play over here absolutely i feel like we all stepped on poor micah's thought of it, it kills the the parent lc did you have more to that no it was just an observation based specifically on the cast of shadows reference that a new living community is springing forth from it but it's more survivors of a fallout rather than people splintering off to do their own thing because they don't agree with the community as a whole yeah cast of shadows definitely a case of it was decided they were going to close the doors and the people who want to keep playing are just going to go here and play so that but uh, I don't want to speak ill of any living community. It's bad luck to speak ill of the dead, as the saying goes. Nice. Wow. I'm a fan. Right. And he just did. All right. So let's let's move on to then, and we're gonna we're gonna get to a happy side. I promise, guys. I promise. But let's talk about the drawbacks to a living community. Number one for me, I think the biggest drawback to a living community is if I have a group of thirty people, and let's just choose Shadowrun because it's the first one I see on my list here. I have to get all 30 people to see the world the way I do. And I can't ever do that. Same thing with any other system. They are going to interpret the rules and the setting different from me. Even if we all read all the lore and all the rule books and everybody, you know, read all the information out there, they're going to read it and interpret it differently in their brains than I am. I'm never going to find 30, 50, 1,000 like-minded individuals who see the setting the way I do. I don't agree with that. Okay, why? Because if you do your due diligence and you set up a, a thing that says, this is the setting, this is the setting that we abide by, and you are consistent, and your GMs are consistent in applying the setting as you see it, the players will adapt to that. As long as you are upfront with it. Absolutely. But it won't happen naturally. It has to be regulated. It has to be created. It won't ever happen naturally. No, you're you're right. You have to absolutely say, this is how we interpret it. This is how we are consistently going to interpret it. If you don't like it, you know, you might want to look somewhere else. Cry a river, build a bridge, and get over it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, another drawback to a living community, I would say, is a lack of a, your character story is yours. In the sense mm-hmm. that if you want your character story to advance, your background to come up, your whatever weird special snowflake thing that you want to happen, that is your story, and you have to push to have that happen. The GM, No GM is going to come to you and say, hey, let's do this thing with your story, because they are busy doing dealing with 40 other people, 30 other people. So if you you don't get that personal touch you pretty much have to drive your own story as far as character development goes which i think is a drawback to living communities in a sense us what do you think the biggest drawback to an lc is the people the people people screw everything up gamers no he's not saying players you aren't saying just players you are just saying the fact that people are flawed and that's it i mean you're talking administrative gms players you're talking 
all the people, not oh, just yes. players. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Gamers are the worst part of gaming, and LCs <laughs> are comprised of nothing but gamers. And the reason I say this is because there's always going to be individual ulterior motives, or individual, just individual motives. And when Runner Hub started, I didn't want to run the whole fucking thing, but I ended up having to. Because the person who founded it, when the first one that when the first split happened, it was because people decided they wanted to be in charge and I told them no. When the second one split, they wanted a particular thing, I told them no. Every single time we have a split, it's because there's a fundamental difference in the vision of the way they want the game to be. And so the first generation of LCs was we all have basically the same LC rule set, but we have minor changes here. And people enjoy it or people don't. Players playing the game all have their own ulterior motives, and some might want to start some shit, some just want to get the job done, some want to go through and roleplay, some want to earn it for the plan. I had a game where it was a simple job, because me, I love simple jobs. And so I had a crew of people who were good at infiltration. One player was playing a ghoul, another one didn't realize it. And the second that he found out that the character was a ghoul, he started DMing me, wanting to sabotage their car with a car bomb so he could kill another player. And so now I have to deal with that. And he was pissed because the ghoul found out, because sense of smell is amazing, turned around, planted the bomb on their car, and they threw a tanty because he hit the button and his own car blew up. And I thought it was really neat. But that's another part. GMs, and I'm going to use myself as the prime example, I fucking love a power trip. And so I have to physically tamp that desire down. In the end, I want everybody to have a good time. We're all telling a story. It's harder to do that on an LC. And then if you get are a GM and you get a batch of players that don't conform to your play style and you don't want to conform to theirs, then you're going to start being like, all right, well, I don't like this character, so fuck this guy. He's going down. And that happened more than a few times. And the larger it gets, the more instances of this will happen, the more staff you need in order to control it, and the more you get fatigued. And the more people start cycling through, you get that turnover going. So yeah, people, terrible. They're the worst. All right, so Micah, do you have any thoughts on on any of these drawbacks? Just going off of what Oz was saying about, you know, a player wanting to kill another player, or sorry, a player wanting to kill another PC, vice versa. That player, and I'm sure you made this particular person aware, they need to be okay with their own character dying if they want to kill someone else's character. Because otherwise they will throw that tantrum. And Oz, I'm sure you realize this. If not before, then definitely after. But that's the thought I have on that. The thing is, a lot of people will say, oh, I'm fine with those consequences. But then when those consequences happen, yeah, not so yeah. fine. Not so fine. Not so fine. Yeah. Go on, Micah. Well, it, that's true. People, people are people and people are the worst and also the best at the same time. So in many, many cases, they people will lie to get what they want, even if it's not for the best for themselves or anybody else. And earlier, as far as, you know, people disagreeing on plot rule set and, you know, the the creator slash GM's vision of the world as far as living community or otherwise, the issue that me in particular that I will encounter is that the addition of Legend of the Five Rings L5R that I'm using 
drew back 200 years worth of lore from the previous edition because of poor decisions were made story-wise based on the inspirational material which of course is medieval asia and there are people even in the play-by-post game that i'm running now that know all of the lore from the previous edition i know almost none of it except for the bad things that people have told me and what i know is just the little bit of fifth edition stuff that has been released so i'll have to deal with people who prefer the old the older way of doing things or who know more about the world as a whole than i do because what's been released story-wise for the current edition draws off of the previous editions slowly but the previous editions also expanded more than the current edition currently is so any players that have been part of this particular game and its community longer than I have may disagree with my vision of the world because they know more than I do. And that's one of those that person type of things. Absolutely. I would say that in terms of, of what you're you're looking to do and trying to do, a player that knows the previous stuff but is willing to roll with, with your vision is a treasure. And the ones who are going to raise a stink about it, well, there's always going to be more players than GMs. And I know I personally am very interested in L5R, and I know Dick all about the lore, about the setting, and all I can do is be like, well, I can role play, so tell me a bit about the culture. Culture, and I'll go from there. People who know the lore behind like games like Shadowrun and L5R, which are lore-intensive settings, are great as long as they are willing to conform to the accepted what the LC sees as the setting. And like I said, people are the worst, and they're also the best. You know, diamonds in the rough. Many gamers are. And as far as Shadowrun goes, Zakara, if somebody can quote from memory the entirety of Dunkelzon's will, I might be worried. <laughs> uh, I know people who can do that. I'm worried. <laughs> you need to know some new people. Okay, so let's let's move on to the next thing. So we've we've talked about some of the the drawbacks, the problems, the issues, some of the the bad parts of it. But there's some good, right? What are the benefits to a player in joining? And LC. Regular games. Regular Honestly. games? Like, if your LC is running good, you have games planned and running at least a few times a week. And you meet people, and all these people are here to do the same thing you are, which is play the game. And that is a easy point to make friends, you know, mm-hmm. make connections, all that stuff. I've met a ton of wonderful people on the cast of shadows and different communities online it's just a great thing also gaining nemeses is always a good part you may have (laughs) splinter groups but if you get if you get somebody who's that perfect frenemy i would argue that that is probably a good thing that living communities can do and regular games definitely if you're doing voice games you have a game you know once a week every other week if you're doing play by post which i know some living communities do and is part of my idea for a living community you're playing every day even if it's just a tiny bit and a lot of people feel uncomfortable you know getting into character in a voice or face-to-face scenario there's definitely problems with using an accent especially if the accent can be deemed as racist or disrespectful or simply terrible or simply terrible. In a play-by-post scenario, there is that massive gulf that you can just stretch out. You're role-playing 
your acting muscles and and that's because you're playing every day but you're only playing you know 10 15 minutes of a session technically translated and you but you have the time to think of what you would actually want to say instead of off the cuff improvisation and while there are good there are good parts about improvisation there's also bad parts about improvisation because you can't always get your thoughts across and also in my in the games i've experienced face to face and in voice improvisation tends to be tends to lead to more comedic game styles than a lot of settings and scenarios require i feel personally attacked Oh, stop. <laughs> well, considering I've, you know, used generic, like, 1920s serial versions of German accents in games and stabbed people in the back on a whim. Oh, I feel personally attacked by that stab in the back. Yep. I have an expansion on Micah's comment, but if Oz wants to talk I would it, like I to will. hear, yeah, Oz's opinion on uh, what's the benefit to players joining in LC. Well, as everybody said people get to play games they otherwise could not locally. Since we are talking about Shadowrun, and that is where lion's share of my experience with this is, it's not a popular system locally. And you can insert any locale, except for Germany. Germans absolutely love Shadowrun, and I love them for it, because as an extension, we as players get to find out directly what works and what doesn't. We get that consensus, and we can make changes based off of that. And that is part of why the Runner Hub had such and has such a huge book of rules and regulations, because they've been experimenting now for six years on what works and what doesn't. And so some of the disagreements is, oh, that could work. And like in a con style play, this isn't going to work. This will break a table. And if a player finds another game, they might turn into a bit of a that guy, but they bring a lot more knowledge of the system than they'd otherwise have. And if a GM or somebody on Reddit, you still see this all the time, you get basic questions of, I am a GM, how can I fix this thing? You have more people saying, it's like, well, here's the experience I had on the hub. Here's the experience I had on ShadowNet. Here's the experience that I had on Cast of Shadows. And you'll probably find that in most cases, the answers are going to be the same, but it can also create some great discussion. Discussion. And in the end, more people talk about the game, more people hear about the game, more people play the game, and it kind of snowballs from there until somebody fucks up with a new rule set, and then everything just goes in the crapper. And Sakara, you wanted to expand on Micah's thoughts? So, his thoughts on creativity in general. In a living community, you are playing games pretty regularly. You are pushed to, you know, expand your character, roleplay, and at least in my experience on Castle Shadows and soon to be the yeah, jungle, we push a narrative heavy game. So people are pushed to role play and creativity that you pull out of people, they start flexing those muscles and you get some really fun, interesting things out of people that you might not have gotten before. If you were in a, even just a face-to-face game where you have that connection with a GM the same GM and your GM is going to kind of pull you along the story he wants to tell. Whereas in living community, you don't have that GM there to kind of catch you. So you are allowed to push the envelope a little bit, I think. Okay. Micah, did you have anything to uh, add? Off of Oz's answer, you mentioned how Germans love Shadowrun and that just sparked something in 
in my mind, in a living community, particularly for living communities that play games based on real world settings, World of Darkness, Shadowrun, so on and so forth. When you have the time, again, this is a you can't you can't play local games like this because in the U.S., our games are for Shadowrun are focused on what Chicago, Seattle, L.A., stuff like that. Right. But when you play with an international cast of players then all of a sudden the whole world is your oyster you get to be able to play games set in germany or in hong kong or in tokyo run by people who are local to those areas and know them better than you yourself would ever know it unless you've been there and lived there because they have that you know local knowledge and it expands your experience as a player so much more than if you were only played in local face-to-face games absolutely it's the the additional perspectives and abilities to see those new things is one of the great strengths of of the lc kind of play provided everybody can get on the same schedule i know that was the most difficult thing that we experienced is that our european players our australian players african players everybody's got such a different drastic time zone on the bright side if you were working the night shift you could probably get into a a european game and if they were working the night shift you know maybe not but by and large if you are primarily american those are the time zones of the games you're going to get to play and it's kind of a self-enforced segregation almost but it is what it is it's not really a way that you can change that yeah that's for sure. Uh, we have that issue. I mean, we only have 40 players, and I would say about 10 to 12 of them are European-Australian. So we have that issue sometimes that comes up, well, these people are playing at 3 in the morning because that's the only time they can get games, and that kind of thing happens. And that's because it's hard to find GMs. Right. Yes. So uh, let's get to GMs in LCs, and let's get back to Oz's point made very early where I said I have thoughts and comments on. And to me, this is the ugly part. Oh, let's go. Let's hear it. This is the ugly part of LCs. This is the part where I I still, I will die on this hill. I do not think GMs should be incentivized on LCs. They should not get a reward. If you want a GM on an LC, it's because you wish to do that. You shouldn't get rewarded for it. The reward is the experience you've given the players. I somewhat agree with that. As somebody who, in order to play games, I have to run games. I don't feel like GMs should necessarily be incentivized with in-game currency, as it would be, Uh, for instance, Karma, Cash, in a Shadowrun game. They get to play the game as much as the players do, if not more, because their character basically is the entire world and all the NPCs they're in. They don't get the same experience as players because they don't have one character that they're running. But incentivizing them, basically paying them to run games kind of is while it would it would kind of narrow down the type of people that would be running games but you can also get some bad gms in situations like that i would i feel (laughs) (laughs) i I have a question like so i will i will stand straight up i agree with jupiter as far as we're fighting rewards for gms by game basis because then a lot you get gms who are just playing to get the reward because the reward has to be then be significant so they're just they're just running game to get the reward so you just get people well i'm just gonna throw together this easy run so i can get this 10 karma or whatever oh oz can speak to that i mean that's that, that's a thing i mean simple runs is not the same as easy run i don't think so 
there's a there's a difference there. But I will play devil's advocate for a second here. So how is this different than say a gaming store offering to pay GMs? That's a demo agent at a store doing face to face game helping people play. This is not an LC. No, it's not an LC. But how is it how is it also different than people online saying, I'll run this game, I'll run this I see this in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. I'll run this uh, Curse of Strahd game for these people, but you will all pay me this amount of money per session. Again, not an LC. No, no, it's not. Not an LC. Give me an example. I am all for a GM being paid. If I'm taking my time and I'm going to my local game store and I'm going to run a game for some people and I'm going to spend hours doing it and I'm going to give them a good experience, yeah, it's nice to be paid. But I'm talking about an LC, which is organized as a volunteer administrative staff, I do not feel they should be paid or incentivized because that leads to misconduct. Right. I would argue, though, that if you're running seasonal play, perhaps the hours of gameplay that you put in as a player and GM, not just GMs, could have more of an impact on that season's outcomes for the meta plot rather than somebody who's only running itty bitty teeny tiny sessions us what do you think about it my my hill that i'm willing to die on so i think i'm the odd one out here since we did kind of pioneer this thing for lcs for shadowrun anyway i uh, before i get started i will also say for those of you listening we would love to hear your feedback on this because it is a very hot topic we do have some channels on the without a net discord server and if you're part of the out of character Patreon, if you're a subscriber in that, you have access to those channels where you will be able to pose questions and have discussions about these topics. Yes. Thank you for shilling. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll take my nickels later. I will throw them at you at Gen Con, sir. Uh, I'm sure you will. Topic of this being a hot topic. Like, we are transitioning from Cast of Shadow, which does not have a GM incentive. And we are going to Neo J- Neon Jungle, and the topic has come up twice now. Do we incentivize GM? And I have quashed it twice. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, it is become, becoming a thing. So it is definitely a hot topic. It is. Go ahead, us, because I actually have a, a bit more. Go on. Okay. I will try to be quick, which means Don't I won't be. Don't be quick. You take your time. So when we started this, we had that old problem. We have no GMs. The philosophy at the time... And this was in order to keep the hub running, because it was at risk of failure. A bad Shadowrun game is better than no Shadowrun game. In hindsight, this was a mistake. But at the time, is what we needed to do. And once that was in place, we couldn't take this away. It was a topic of a lot of discussion for three straight years. Why are we doing this? You know, we are promoting bad games. We are promoting short games. In the end, it was kept because most of these GMs weren't getting to play at all. And it wasn't that, you know, yes, they have the world, they have all these different characters that they can play, but in the end, it was, they weren't able to advance those characters, they weren't able to develop their storylines, they they didn't have a character that they could actually play and say, I'm going to put this, I'm going to work towards this piece of cyberware, I'm going to work towards this, this immersion, or I'm going to work towards this spell thing, initiation, that's the fucking word, I don't know, I don't care, I hate magic. But we had to give them a way to be able to do that because then they also have these characters but nobody would take them because they're gms or you know they have their little clique or uh, the character didn't fit the job or i mean i could give you any of a million reasons why i didn't get to go on any runs so the only way that i could get that stuff was by running games or advancing the lore of the server and it at least made me feel like 
I was being appreciated, if that makes sense. Because when you get to a, a critical point in the population of a game where you are requiring a dozen, if not multiple dozens of administrators or staff in order to keep the wheels greased, you start to wonder really quick why you're doing it. And having a incentive to GM or to help run this place beyond you know, we've got this great thing and my situation is very specific and kind of personal. I said I wasn't going to speak ill of anyone, so I won't go into that. But when you get to that point, you're like, why am I doing this? And then you start backing off and the the incentive keeps you going a bit longer because you're still getting to see something that is yours personally that nobody else has, where an LC in general is, it may start with one person, but it very quickly encapsulates a lot of people. It's not, this is mine, it's this is ours. But I feel like I'm straying from the topic. There are a lot of ways, like it requires a lot of oversight in order to do it. And yeah, it brings in bad people. Like you said, I can speak to it. Man, have I got stories. It brings in problem players as well. Think, okay, well, I can just, I'm going to make this super rigger that's got military armor and a van that's full of ammo and drones and can apparently also carry eight people and has a wasp helicopter and a helipad on the top and I live out of it. And I'm going to fund this by one, fudging character sheet, two, running shitty two-hour runs and then grabbing the karma and then just mm -hmm. throwing some cash and some karma at the players who just had a complete like erectile dysfunction of a run and it requires oversight to control and corral those people but in the end like i said it comes back to i need people running games if throwing some karma at them gets them to run games especially in a convention type setting where i've got like i said three thousand people all of them are looking for games i need gms to go out and run i need them to go out and run consistently i need them to run each at least once a month i prefer once a week but I'll take what I can get because if I can get them running, if I can get two, uh, 200 GMs running once a month, that is, you know, like a thousand games at four players each. It means everybody should conceivably get to play at least once. And that was the best that I could do. And that is the best that we could do. And, and with incentives. Mm -hmm. And was it perfect? Oh, fuck. No, it wasn't. It caused just as many problems as it solved, but mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. how we made it happen. And for something of that size, it is what breaks you out of a, a size cap for good or for ill. I have a question for you, Oz. Oh, okay. Do you think that not necessarily removing the incentive, but adding an addendum that GMs could only use their incentive on GM-only tables could have curbed some of that? For instance, uh, you get a bunch of GMs doing a round-robin game maybe once every couple of months, and they can only use their incentives of karma or cash on characters for those games. Like if the GM-only games are just super broken, nonsense, fun fun times, then it would make sense to have over-the-top... Super characters for that? Yeah. It would make sense... It does, it creates other problems in that who is who is the GM who's going to run this GM-only game? Is it going to be set so the, G, the only GMs have that schedule? Uh, are the characters going to fit? Are they, like, a, a thousand things will work. And we tried that. We tried having a case where we could have tables that were only for s stupid, powerful characters, only for GMs. And what ended up happening was... Unconsciously, we had that. It built another unconscious clique with the GMs who are, you know, a step above the players, or so they like to think. And they split off and they make their own LC because 
they don't feel appreciated enough or they're not getting enough games or we say we're doing this thing for this person, but it never gets done because everybody kicks the can back down the road. There's just so much that can go wrong with it. Like by and large, I agree with you guys. Incentives are more trouble than they're worth. So it sounds like the incentive thing that you are talking about stemmed from the fact that the runner hub grew to a size that was unmanageable. Like 3,000 players, I can't even imagine trying to manage that many players. I managed at the top side 50 and that's that's a trip sometimes. So I can't even imagine trying to manage 3,000 players, 200 GMs. That's insane to me. <laughs> that is way, way more people. I, is So like the incentive as to keep people playing, to keep people running, seems like a symptom of you grew bigger than you should have. And yeah. maybe at some point you should have split split the community into half or even thirds. There is that. You know, it's... It's personal, to, I guess, to every LC. How big is too big? I think once you hit four digits, you are a Goliath and you probably should not be doing that. I would much rather have consistent tables with consistent players where they're all having a story. They're all getting to involve each other in each other's story. But it, the Runner Hub wasn't for that. It was strictly, here is game, go play. The Runner Hub sounds like it was created out of a necessity of, we need to place to play games. We can't play games locally. Let's just get together as a large community online and play games. Is that accurate, you think? Yeah, and it stemmed from one GM running Shadowrun games for 24 hours straight. And then after that, he's like, guys, I have this great idea. What if we could get multiple people like me doing that? And it snowballed. Whereas if we said, okay, well, let's build a place where people can find a table and then go from there, it would have been something completely different. Would it have worked? I don't know. But the thing that made the Runner Hub take off was the fact that, and I'm going to toot my own horn, because I inserted a meta and I showed the consequences in the world of the runs that they did, that is what gave it its draw. And it is the, it is the meta. It is the thought that, okay, well, I don't have a table of five, five other players that are changing the world for that table. But what the fuck I do? that changes the world. This barrel of Anfo I kick out of the back of this ambulance as I'm speeding away from Seder Krupp security forces, and it burns down a sizable portion of Seder Krupp HQ. That was me. I did that. Look at all the shit this caused. Or I broke into Seder Krupp, because we love going after Seder Krupp, uh, to steal a, uh, a blueprint in order to genetically engineer strawberries to remove radiation from people who ate them. And I threw that out in the open source. That is one less thing that they can do. I have made my mark. And if I hadn't stepped in, they wouldn't have had that. And the runner hub probably wouldn't have even taken off and we'd be back to, why can't I find a game? Right. Like, I think one of the biggest draws for Cast of Shadows was the meta plot and the things we did with it was definitely, and that stems from, you know, the bigger community having that kind of thing. So definitely that is a huge draw for people. Well, thank your Uncle Oz for that. <laughs> thank you, Uncle Oz. <laughs> My children, you are very welcome. I can't thank Uncle Oz because I, I don't play a lot of Shadowrun. It's okay, neither do I anymore. I believe Jupiter said that she wanted to say something else after you were done, Oz. <laughs> no, this is great. This is the easiest podcast gig I've ever had. I just sit back and let you guys talk. <laughs> matter. We matter. <laughs> So GMs, back to back to GMs and incentivizing. Another, the, the rest of my hill, because it was a big hill, guys, was I didn't think 
the people who ran the LC, and I'm talking about Cast of Shadows, that was the one that I helped set up and, and manage. I didn't think if you were staff or volunteers, a GM, or you were an admin, I didn't think you should play in games with players. There had to be a separation so you could be indifferent and impartial to what was happening in the world and the and the players so you wouldn't form bonds or loyalties with them. And I know it sounds awful, but it was really just to have that separation. So they were just there to manage and serve the players. And the players were the ones that benefited. And you brought this up to me when I first started talking about an L5R LC. And I can get behind that because it lowers the chance that you have negative cliques forming Mm -hmm. inside the community and weakening the community as a whole if you decide to do that. So when do when did the GMs get to play? That's why my hill started to fall apart on COS. Because the others said, I'm here to play a game. I'll do this, but I want to play too. And it was like, yeah, but play somewhere else. Or we tried to do just staff only games, but they always fizzled. So and, and that was this, where do they get to play? Where do they get to play? And and it's like, if you're a GM, to me, you're, you're kind of playing. You're playing all the NPCs. Right. I've said that and I've heard that countless times. The GM, their character is the world and all the NPCs. Staff only games... They can fizzle out, uh, especially if all the staff doesn't get along or if they all have different schedules that they're trying to work with. I would argue that, all right, you two, I can hear the groaning and the grumbling in the background. I would argue that in a large enough, in a small community, dozen or a couple dozen people, you can't have your GMs play because your community is too small to avoid the cliqueishness that can come about by GMs playing with players. In a larger community, though, when you're getting into numbers like Cast of Shadows, and definitely when you're getting into numbers like Runner Hub, you can have GMs play with players that aren't part of their normal play groups. But if you're only running one-shots, then you increase potential for playing with players you've run before exponentially. But if you're running in campaigns... Long, long form campaigns rather than one shots in a larger community, you don't have the opportunity or that you would encounter players you've run and form those cliques at the same time. I think so. I have, I have a comment on this. Like, I agree with Jupiter to an extent. I agree that the problem of player GMs and players playing together in, in forms cliques, but where the problem I think actually lies is when you have a staff running for other staff. And suddenly things that wouldn't happen for regular players start happening for staff members. I think that's where a problem happens and you have to you have to be able to police that and you have to be able to say as a staff member, this is not right. You are doing this thing. I need you to walk this back or this can't happen anymore. Yeah. And that, that goes to what Oz says where the GMs feel they're higher than the players. And it had to be the other way. It had to be the staff had to put the players on the pedestal, not think of themselves as, no, we're the authority, we're the rulers, we're the kingmakers. And that's a problem. It, it is a problem. And When you have that attitude. I, I won't speak to my 
I'm, no, no, I'm no. gonna I'm gonna go with Oz and say I'm not gonna talk badly about anybody right now. But it's, no, no, no. There's definitely a when you are creating a world and running a plot in a situation where you have basically power over 40 plus other people. There, some of that goes to your head a little bit, and you have to be able to check yourself, and you have to have people around you who can check you. Yes. And you also have to realize in yourself if five people are coming to you and saying you are on a power trip, this is the way things are going. You have to be able to listen to those people because that creates if you can't then that creates strife and that people gravitate away from you and then bad things happen that is what happens absolute power corrupts absolutely and sometimes people that start running these lcs especially as they grow and the control and the power they hold it, it kind of can begin to cause the cracks in the foundation inevitably so micah when you build your L5R LC, how are you going to make sure the power doesn't go to anyone's head? Make Oz run it because he's already got the power <laughs> in his head? If you enjoy an iron fist in a velvet glove, yes, Oz should do it. <laughs> or just the iron fist. I always give you a velvet glove so it at least feels kind of nice before it really lands on you. That's fair. In all seriousness, though, that's... That's definitely a question I'll have to muse about for quite some time while planning and plotting and making devious deals in the in the underworld. As far as making sure that nobody that it's less likely for people to have a power trip is okay. So that uh, you you all will probably hate me for this, and I apologize to you and the listeners at home if you. Use the checks and balances that uh, the United States government was originally based on and not have a single person in charge of everything, every single aspect, then that is probably how you can control some of that too much power in any one person's hands and get rid of the ego with your administration. Oh, my sweet summer child. Oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> All right, look, oh, I, as, somebody, as somebody who's not run an LC or been a member of an LC, yes, I am a sweet summer baby child. You are a sweet I, I would child. Like, I would like to say, like, it's not all negative, and it doesn't all have to go this way. However... You, there's definitely an aspect of, and at least in my experience, where people stop listening and because they already have that admin title or staff title or whatever, they stop listening to you. They stop listening to everybody and whatever they say goes. And that is a problem. There's no way to check that at some point. I mean, we're on the internet. We don't, we can't physically go to their house and take their power away. <laughs> it's, it's just not like... It's not like the real world government. They're a response to a founder on a, on a Discord server saying, you have to do this thing, and they don't want to. They're just going to say, no, I'm not going to do it. So there, there has to be some trust. Right, and, and I was going to answer your, your statement with that. Like, you have to promote and advance people that they trust, even if that might create, you know, a an imbalance of power. In one direction, you need to have people that you trust in your positions of power, as it were. Now, going back to going back to my analogy to the U.S. government, in times past, the president didn't choose the vice president. The vice president was the person who lost to the presidential race in the long run, so that there was a check in place in the Oval Office for too much power going in one direction. And... 
to go back to something I said earlier in recording, in a living community, sometimes you can get that perfect frenemy, that nemesis that you get along with and don't agree with. And that is probably the best check that you can have, I think, in a living community. I'm not sure how well you'd be able to find that, but that might be your best bet. I don't know. What do you guys think? I was going to ask Oz because we haven't heard from him. I assume he's getting this coffee. I've had my coffee for like an hour. <laughs> Us, did you did you run the hub as a is it run as a dictatorship or is it run as a council? Originally it was run as a dictatorship because that's what we had. After the ShadowNet split, one of the staff decided that they were going to come up with a constitution, so to speak. So we had an executive council of five people. We had uh, media. We had interpersonal conflict. We had rules division. And then we basically had like this altogether operations division who was policing the police type of thing. So for the most part, it worked. It was democratic. As long as I kept in charge, I could keep an eye on it because I had significant seniority on on the admin list, which on Reddit is arbiter of all. And the person who actually founded it, well, he fucked off for three years. Sorry, not sorry. Fuck that guy. Anyway, by and large, it works. And the time that it doesn't work is the time when it happens to you. And that's what happened to me. And that's why I thought it didn't work. In the end, it still works. It's been three years. I feel better about it now. But until something better comes along, it's the best you can get is to kind of have that check and balance. You've got five people who are making the decisions, which means that you should be able to have majority decisions on it. You've got other departments that are like that can at least comment on it. I think that was the drawback is that we didn't have further checks and balances after that. And the changes they put in place after I left was, okay, well, we will have this bot in the number two position so nobody can be mad with power. And it's like, well, no, because the people who installed that bot have all the back doors. They still have the power. You've just traded one perceived dictator for two actual. So there's always going to be that. And the price of games is eternal vigilance in this case. I have a, I have a question for both Micah and Oz and, and Jupiter. Do you think that transparency is a problem in these cases where drama comes up and the thing happens? Do you think that if things had been more transparent and the community at large knew what was going on, that it would have gone differently? No, it would not have gone any differently because it was transparent. It was very clear. But once somebody gets an idea in their head, like you said, they stop listening. And it's not just the person who holds, quote unquote, supreme power. Transparency is a double-edged sword, I think. When things are too transparent, you can have a... How do I want to say this? If things are too transparent, then you could be exposing too many problems within your administration to the community at large, and then just everything gets overthrown, or there's just a major rift that will never be put back together again. On the other hand, if there's not enough transparency, then the same community could turn against you because they either they don't trust you to know what you're doing or they think that you don't trust them enough to treat the community as it should be treated transparency i think some conversations amongst administrative staff of an lc or whatever echelon or title you give them counsel whatever i i think some of those conversations should remain private exactly to micah's point it can cause a lack of confidence overall if if everybody saw everything that was being said. You know, I think Oz hit it uh, hit the nail on the head when he said players, people, people, not players, people are the main detriment to an LC. And it's just people are flawed, people are horrible. And and 
they can do horrible things. They can say horrible things. They can have completely different beliefs and ideals from each other. And when you put a group together and you're trying to do this really fun thing, just play a game, but now we have to introduce laws or rules, regulations or policy, procedure, and and it, it just, people can just screw that up. And I think no matter what, when it comes to an LC, you're never going to get a group of people together to function in pure utopian harmony. It's just not going to happen. You'll always have strife in an LC. That being said, though, my time in the COS was, for the most part, terrific. I learned a lot. I did things I've never done before. I thought about policy. I thought about rules. I, I thought about how do we manage an entire system online of people in different time zones with different thoughts and ideas. And, and I, I loved it. I loved my fellow admins. I loved the staff. I loved the volunteers. I loved them all. Did they do things that made me angry sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But so do my family. Especially and I still deal with them. Especially my and I still still love them. So I think it's just for Micah, as you contemplate putting together this LC, all of these horrible things that we've told you about, and it hor- they are horrible. I have spent many a night in tears. I've spent many a night angry. I've spent days just depressed because of things that I had to deal with and things that were happening, things I, I could do nothing about. I was ineffectual many times. Even with all of those experiences, it was still great. I spent a year with the COS and I love I love it. Ultimately, I love it. Wasn't great all the time, but it was good. And I think the experience was a great one for me. And I hope as you work on developing your LC, you can take everything you've heard here and hopefully learn from it and recognize when you see things happen, like, hey, wait a minute, they mentioned that. And maybe you're better prepared. That's that's what I hope. Well, at least it's recorded, so if I forget something, I can just go back to it. Don't get me wrong. I uh, I loved COS. This was my favorite thing. I was planning to continue with COS if they weren't closing down, which is why I'm making the Neon Jungle. So it, even with all the stuff that's happened and the drama that I've personally been involved with and Tubert is right there have been there have been some rough patches but even with all that i wouldn't trade it it's it's still something I, i've enjoyed and i'm going to try to continue to enjoy as we go forward so i definitely learned some things today oz do you have anything to add positive or negative before i take a little spiel no i want to hear what you got to say i'll probably close it out with another shilling so so the in the grand scheme of things, as I've said, I run games because I want to play games and I can't always play games because there's not always people to run them. The reason I want to make a living community for this particular game is because I've fallen in love with the game and a great deal. And I think highly of a great deal of a number of people who I know play it and speak lovingly about it, both current and previous editions. And I hope to be able to draw players and GMs from those people that I've met. If it doesn't work out, I mean, it was a great experiment uh, or the thought of an experiment at least. And I'll have done something that I wanted to do regardless of whether it succeeds or fails. And even if it does fail, I'll learn from it. So I guess in the the long run, you know, I, I've, I'm of the philosoph- philosophy that when it's my time to go, it's my time to go. So if the community succeeds, then hey, great, awesome. With or without me, then then that's just how things shook out. But I'm, I'm still of a positive mindset, regardless of any problems that may occur. All right, I'm going to let Oz close it out. So if you can keep this like a family, you know, small tables, a bunch of friends, all of generally like mind, all with a single purpose of, of playing good games, having a good time. An LC is great. 
because it means that everybody in your family is affecting the world and you can show them the world that's being affected. And there's a lot of pleasure in that. When you go to convention style play, the passion, it goes away. Unless you are the one that's like, look at look at this kingdom that I've built, only you fucked off for three years and you didn't actually do any of it. Fuck you, by the way. You're not listening. You're Australian. Anyway, there's there's a break point and it's on you to recognize where that break point is. And as it approaches, you need to be the one to step back and say, okay, my time is done here. I've done what I can and send your kid out into the world and hope he doesn't die or fucking kill somebody. But for those of you listening, take what you will from all of this, because all of this is good information. There are a myriad of different reactions that everybody will have, but we've all experienced them. Uh, Feel free to ask us, hit out of character up on whatever social media that they may be on, give thoughts, give questions, ask questions. If you don't agree, we'd love to hear it. I'd love to tell you why you're wrong. No, joking, joking. But you've got thoughts on it. We know you do. And you should share them and start that discussion. And when you get to the point where you want to start your LC, keep in mind above anything else that happens here, it is going to be hard work. This is not even a second job. This is three jobs in one. You are going to spend more time working on this LC than you will ever get out of it. And either you love it or you don't. And eventually you go from loving it until you don't. And maybe that day is the day you die. Maybe that's a week after you start it. But that's up to you. And with that, I think I've said more than enough. And Jeep, thanks for having me on. This has been great. No, thank you for being on. Thank Micah and, and thank you, Zakara, for being on. This was a wonderful discussion. I kept you guys way over my intended uh, time and I really appreciate it. And I, I agree. I, I think a lot of opinions were given. These are, we're speaking to our own experiences and I'm sure there are plenty of other people that have positive and negative experiences as well. And you can be part of the discussion on the Without a Net Discord server, of course. And as far as social media, I believe we will have a Twitter. Probably that's about it. Just Twitter and Discord probably be the two places. I, I want to keep the community small, as you can guess why. But definitely seek us out, find us. There There will be a, a link to the Discord server, the Without a Net Discord server, if you want to be part of that conversation after hearing this. And thank you, and we'll see you next time on Out of Character.